I want to begin by being absolutely clear. The demonic is real. Satan is real. Demons are real. They have real power and they can possess people. They can and do destroy lives. The demonic is real. It was incredibly real in the Old Testament. The Old Testament law contains all sorts of commands about us having nothing to do with those who tap into the demonic world, into, into curses and spells and necromancy and witchcraft. The demonic was real in Jesus' day. You've just got to count up the number of times that Jesus cast out demons. Or remember the day of the demonic world's greatest shame. Remember when Jesus disarmed the rulers and authorities, that is the demonic world, and put them up to open shame, that is he pulled their pants down in public. How? By triumphing over them in the cross. But on the cross, Jesus defeated Satan and his minions. But here's the thing. Shamed and defeated they are, but finished they are not yet. Their end is still to come. Which means that the demonic is still real today. And many of you have experienced its touch. Many of you know its power. For some... When illness strikes, the first question asked, even if it's only internally, is, is this the demonic? Is Satan behind this? For others, you've seen the possessed, you've, you've heard about homes that the demons indwell. You, you've experienced preachers who try and frighten you with the demonic. You've met those who claim to have power over the demonic. For some of us, The power of the demonic is a daily reality and a present fear that hangs over us. Today in Ephesians 6, we're going to hear these words. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Here's the question. How do you feel? How do you feel about the demonic? How do you feel when confronted by the demonic? It's easy to feel powerless, to be you know, completely outgunned. After all, they are cosmic powers and spiritual forces of evil. It's easy to feel alone and overwhelmed and out of control and full of fear. And even if you're a follower of Jesus, you know, don't you, that God is all-powerful. Jesus has won. And yet in practice, how often do we feel alone with any help, if you like, beyond our reach? How often do you fear? How often do you fear for those you love or fear for yourself? How often do you find yourself looking inward and feeling utterly powerless? How often do you feel confused, not knowing what to do and and looking for help from anyone who seems to offer it, from anyone who claims that they have the answer? Today we're going to hear read one of the most famous passages in the Bible that deals with spiritual forces. People often say it's all about spiritual warfare. But here's what I want you to do as it's read. I want you to notice what Paul tells us to do. 
What does he tell us to do when it comes to these malevolent forces? What, what commands does he give? And specifically, what does he encourage us to do? Not once, not twice, but three, possibly four times. As Ivy comes up to spot it, uh, to read it rather, see if you can spot it as we hear the Bible read. How about I pray that God would speak to us through his word? You pray with me? Heavenly Father, we know that the forces of evil are real. And so speak to us today through your word. Help us to understand how we can live as your children without fear. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, Harvey. Ephesians 6, 10 to 20. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all, to stand firm, stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the best breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplications for all the saints and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Didn't she read beautifully? Yeah. What, what, what did you notice? How much fighting are we doing? Paul seems less interested in us fighting and more interested in us doing something else. What, what was the word that was repeated three times? Sorry? Stand. Yes, yeah, stand. Paul wants us to be able to stand, to withstand, to stand and to stand. You see, this passage is not so much about spiritual warfare as it is about spiritual standing. And, and if you or I are going to understand how we can stand in face of the assaults of the evil one, how we can respond to these, yes, powerful spiritual forces, and also how on the last day we can stand firm in Christ and in his death, you and I, we're going to need to unpack Ephesians 6, verses 10 to 20. Let's start at point two on the outline with the command that begins in verse 10. And look, it's a bit of a strange command because it's actually not something for us to do Rather, it's a command to allow something to be done for us and in us. It's the command to be strengthened. 
The verse begins, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. And that verb that our English Bibles have captured as be strong is actually in the passive voice, not the active. Meaning that this strengthening is not something that I actively do, but it's something that's done to me. Meaning this is a command that isn't about me doing something to make myself strong, but it's a command to allow something else to be at work in me, to strengthen me, to make me strong. Quick question. How many of you go to the gym? Show of hands. I'm so sorry, you <laughs> poor things. Oh. Look, you're trying to be strong. Let me tell you the difference between be strong and be strengthened. Right? Be strong, it's the difference between, you know, you go to the gym, lots of and all that, hundreds of reps, lots of exercises. That's be strong. This is the difference between that and your mum. You know, your mum welcoming you home when you look exhausted and you feel overwhelmed by life and she places a plate of your favourite comfort food in front of you and says something like this, it'll help, it'll give you strength. And as you eat, you began to feel all those flavours and all that love begin to seep into your bones as you start to feel your strength return. Finally, be strengthened in the Lord and in the strength of his might. That is, allow the strength of the Lord and the strength of his might to seep into your bones and fill your soul and cause you to be something you could never be on your own, something you could never be in your own strength. And that is strong. Now, one of the things we've got to notice as we read this command in Ephesians 6 is that it begins with the word finally. That is, this passage comes right at the end of a letter and it acts in so many ways as like a brilliant conclusion to all that Paul's been saying about how we can live this extraordinary life. Which means that, as we'll see today, just about everything in these 11 verses springs from what Paul has already said to us in the letter, which is exactly the case when it comes to being strengthened in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Remember how Paul prays in chapter 1? He longs for the Ephesians to know a number of things. One of those things is the greatness of God's power that is at work in us. He prays that we would know what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe. And what's that power like? What did it do? We're told in what comes next. It is the power that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Not only did God raise Jesus, but he seated him where? What does verse 21 say? Above some of the rules and a few authorities and the occasional... No, it's above all rule and authority and dominion and power, above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. Just let that list sink in. Our Heavenly Father has raised Jesus above every power. 
above every satanic power, above every demonic power. Not just then in the past, but forever and never to be challenged, not ever. And verse 22, God the Father placed all things under his feet. There is nothing anywhere that Jesus doesn't rule. He rules the demonic world. In all of its fullness, all of that is included. So when Paul says, be strengthened in the strength of the Lord and in the strength of his might, he means just stop for a moment and allow that picture of Jesus ruling over every demonic power, allow that to sink in. Allow that truth to seep into your bones. Allow it to fill your soul and comfort your heart. Allow that truth to strengthen you, to put steel in your backbone, to lift your chin and cause your courage to grow in understanding. Allow Jesus' might, his strength, his rule, and the absolute certainty of it. Allow that truth to change how you look at the world how you react to the demonic, how you react to any force that might oppose you. But how do we do that? How can we be strengthened by Jesus' strength? Like he tells us in verse 11, what comes next? He says, put on the whole armour of God. Why? So that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. So you have the strength to do it. If you and I are going to be strengthened in the strength of the Lord, we've got to put on, did you notice it's not our own armour? It's God's own armour. It's the armour that he wears. It's the armour we're told about in Isaiah 59, 17. We need to put on God's own armour because, verse 12, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. It is against the rulers, the authorities, the cosmic powers, the spiritual forces of evil, which is why you and I, we need to be strengthened by his might. Therefore, says Paul, verse 13, therefore, put on the whole armour of God. Why? So that you will be strengthened. That is, so that you will be able to withstand in the evil day. That is, when the day when evil comes. And having done all to stand firm and you and I must stand firm and and not be mowed down by Satan and his minions but but that's not something that we can do on our own in our own strength we must be strengthened by him so how does the armor help how does it strengthen us how does it feed our souls so that we can stand no matter what well let's fourthly let's explore God's armor Let's have a look at the first piece, the belt of truth that we fasten around our waist. Now, Paul has been talking about the truth and its impact on us right from chapter 1. Remember what he says in verse 13. He says, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of salvation and believed in him, when you heard the word of truth and responded to it, what happened? We're told you were sealed with the promise Holy Spirit. That is, God placed his mark, his brand, his seal upon us. And that seal is the Holy Spirit. And who is he? We're told he is the guarantee of what? Our inheritance. The guarantee that we absolutely will be able to stand firm. The guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. 
God's rock-solid guarantee that you and I will be able to stand is that he's given us his spirit to strengthen us so that we can. Not in our own strength, but in his. It's his spirit. He's been given to us to make sure that we're strengthened so we can do what we need to, which is simply to stand. And when we do, what happens? Did you notice those last few, last six words in verse 14? There's the comma and then there are last six words. Can you see them? Read them with me like you mean it because the first service was terrible. It starts with to the praise. All of this is done to the... Look, they're doing it much better at home and I could hear them in platinum from in here. Come on, guys. Ready? One, two, three. To the praise of his glory. That is, he's given us his spirit to ensure that we can stand. And, and when we do, absolutely no one is going to pat us on the back and say, wow, like, wow, you are a spiritual powerhouse. No one's going to say that. They'll see us standing, yes. And they will say, wow, isn't God amazing? Isn't God amazing that when you heard the word of truth, the good news of Jesus' death, and then believe it, wasn't God amazing that at that point he gave you his spirit to strengthen you so that you could stand? He's awesome. Satan may well attack us. He may well strike our bodies. He will lie to us. He will tell us that we're weak that we can't persevere, that we're not strong enough, that, that our sin has cut us off from God, that forgiveness is somehow beyond us. But the truth of the gospel, our belt sealed with the Holy Spirit, will see us stand and not fall for his lies. The Spirit will see us remember, even if our bodies fail us and are destroyed by Satan and his minions, will see us remember that the one who raised Jesus on the last raised Jesus will raise us on the last day ensuring that we will stand on that day so friends buckle buckle the truth of the gospel around your waist and the spirit will empower you to stand the second piece of armor is the breastplate of righteousness which is intimately linked to the truth of the gospel remember what paul says about righteousness in chapter 4 he says but that's not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught about him as the truth is in Jesus. And here's what they were taught. To put off the old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful, deceitful desires. Use your words. Put off what you were. And verse 23, and be renewed... In the spirit of your minds, which means allow the spirit to renew you. Allow the spirit to renew you so that you can put on the new self created after the likeness of God. That is, created in true righteousness and holiness. See, when we put on this breastplate of righteousness, what we do is we put on our new self. The new self that God has created for us. The new self that he's created for us that's in his likeness. The new self that Jesus' death made possible. Remember how our old self was described back in, in chapter 2? Our old self was dead to sin. 
It followed Satan. It was driven by the passions of the flesh. But this new self, the one that God has created for us, which the Spirit is renewing in us, when he puts that on us, God himself empowers us and strengthens us to walk in his righteousness. That is, he empowers us to stand in who we now are in Christ, righteous because of his death. Righteous no matter what our old master Satan may say or wish. The next piece of armour that we wear are his shoes. That is the gospel of peace. And as for shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. Paul spent half of chapter 2 talking about the peace that God has lavished on us through Jesus' death. Remember verse 17. And Jesus came and preached peace to you who were far off, that is the Gentiles, the non-Jews, and peace to those who are near, to the Jews. And what does this peace mean? It means, verse 18, that through him we have access in one spirit to the Father. Access to the Father, guys. Look, if I turned up at Zabil Palace today and went to the gates and said, hey guys, I'm here to see Sheikh Mo. How long do you think it would take before I get turned away with a clip under the ear and told to be more respectful? Yeah. I'd never get past the gates. But get this. Something that's impossible without the work of the Spirit and unthinkable without Jesus, yet because of his death, we now have. That is absolute peace with God. There is no animosity between us and God anymore. There is no broken relationship. There is only peace, which means, verse 19, that we're no longer strangers and aliens. But what are we? We're fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Because of Jesus' death, you and I are now members of God's very own household. We're we're his family. We can walk around the courts of heaven freely because we belong. We have peace with God. When Satan and his minions come at us, remember they're coming at God's family, his people, his own. His own who have access to him, that is, have his ear and have his heart. And when we speak to our Father, we're always welcome. He always hears and always acts for his own. See, the gospel of peace strengthens us to stand. Stand before our Father with complete confidence. Complete confidence to cry out to him and ask him to act when Satan does his worst. Now, the next piece of armour is the shield of faith, which... We're told not just to put on, but we're also reminded how it will serve us. Verse 16. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. Now we meet faith in chapter 2, verse 8. Remember what we're told? It's by grace that you've been saved. That is, it's because of God's unmerited favour that he saved us. And he saved us how? What are we told? Through faith. And this faith, it's, it's ours, yes, but we didn't create it. It didn't come from within us. 
verse 8, this is not your own doing. What's our faith? It's the gift of God. Not a result of works so that no one can boast. The reason we can trust God, the only reason you and I have been able to place our trust in God is because God himself has given us that faith. It's his gift to us. And that gift has saved us. And as we saw earlier, we were servants of Satan. We deserved God's wrath. But verse 6, look at where we are now. God himself, our Father, has raised us up with him and seated us with him, with, with, him, with the Father, in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Most of you think that you are now sitting in the Two Seasons Hotel. Is that right? Yeah? Anyone not? Come and see me afterwards. We'll have a quiet chat. What does this passage say? It says, you and I are not only seated here, but we are now seated at the Father's right hand right now. That is where we dwell. As he says in verse 10, we are his workmanship. He made us. He's taken us from being Satan's servants, full of sin and shame, and he's given us the absolute greatest honour. He's seated us right now in Christ next to the Father. And he's given us all of that through the faith that he's placed within us. Satan will launch his attacks. He will lie to us and he will fire his darts. When we fall into sin again and again, and you will and I will, and, and we're racked with guilt because that's what happens, and we beat ourselves up again, like, what will Satan do? He'll tell us that our sin is unforgivable. He'll say, oh, no, no, this time you've crossed the line. There is no way back for you. You've gone too far. But that's a lie. We haven't. You see, our sin isn't unforgivable. We've been saved by faith through grace. It's all God's work. And you know what? You and I, we cannot mess it up. Satan, he'll fire his darts... He may take away our livelihoods or our health or our families and we may well suffer. And if he does, be assured of this, he will then lie to us. The darts will come. He'll say, oh, look, it's all happened to you because God's abandoned you. It's all happened because of that sin. That's, your sin has cut you off from your father. But here's the truth. Here's how faith extinguishes those darts See, our faith, the content of our faith, which God enables us to trust, our faith will remind us that we were loved when we were sinners, that we have been forgiven for everything we have done, are doing and will do, that we've been raised with Christ and now sit with the Father in the heavenly realms and that nothing and no one can shift us from that place. See, that'll empower us to stand firm to stand in what God has done in us and for us. The helmet of salvation is the next piece. We heard about the word of truth, the gospel of our salvation in chapter 1. And we see our salvation in chapter 2 and verse 4, where we read, But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, even when we'd done nothing to save ourselves, even when we deserved to go straight to hell, here's our salvation. 
He what? He made us alive together with Christ. That is, by grace, you've been saved. Again, when the demonic comes at us, when we're tempted to fall, when it feels like we just can't stand up against them, here's what will keep us on our feet. God's mercy. God's great love for us. God's love for us, so great that we received it when we deserved no such love. Satan will lie. When things are tough, when our health fails, when we suffer loss, Satan will tell us that God is against us, that he's withdrawn that love. Nothing could be further from the truth. If we were saved because of God's mercy, if we were saved when we were God's enemy, our salvation declares then nothing can separate us from that love. That'll strengthen our hearts. That'll see his strength soak into our souls. The final piece of God's armour we're to take up is the sword of the Spirit. Now, in so many places in the New Testament, we discover that it's the Spirit who makes the Word of God make sense to us, that writes the Word of God into our hearts, enables us to trust the promises of God. And that's exactly what we see in Paul's brilliant prayer at the end of chapter 3. Remember what he prays? He prays that according to the riches of God's glory, he may grant us to be strengthened with his power. How? Through his Spirit. Where? In our inner being. Why? So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And what does that mean? It means being rooted and grounded in love so that we can what? Have strength to comprehend with all the saints. Understand what? Say it with me. What is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ? Now, now, Look at this love. It's love that surpasses knowledge, that we may be filled with all the fullness of God. The demonic powers, they seem so close. They seem immediate and in our faces. Their power can appear to be overwhelming and any help from God can seem far away, remote and removed. Can you see with me what the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God, does? Paul's prayer is that the Spirit would intimately, intimately strengthen us. That is, he would fill us with the knowledge of God's vast love for us. That is just so big we can't get our heads around it. And fill us with the fullness of God. Friends, our Father is not distant. He's not removed. Rather, God the Spirit personally acts in the core of our being and fills us with intimate knowledge of God's love for us. Now that will strengthen us. That'll strengthen us no matter what Satan throws at us. You see, being overwhelmed by God's love for us even when things are falling apart, even when the wheels are falling off our lives, it will leave us knowing deep in our hearts that we are truly loved. Loved by a heavenly Father who we sit next to. That'll strengthen us to stand. And when everything's been done, 
to stand firm. What do you fear most that Satan might do to you or to those that you love? Do you fear his attacks on your health? Do you fear financial loss or persecution or perhaps the loss of your life? What do you fear? Here's the uncomfortable truth. God's armour won't save you from any of those things. It will, however, do something far more important. It will help you to stand. To stand in Christ on the day when those things come. It will protect your soul and heart from feeling abandoned, unloved, unforgiven and rejected by your God during those days. God's armour will remind you of Jesus' absolute power. Of our Heavenly Father's enormous mercy of his grace and of the peace that we have with him, of his vast love for us when we were sinners, and that will strengthen us to stand. Here's another part of the uncomfortable truth. Question. Will we know? Can we know if it's Satan who's behind all that we're going through? The answer from Scripture is we won't and we can't. Which means there's absolutely no point in trying to work out who's behind it for a very good reason. Remember Job. Remember Job? Job wasn't privy to any of the discussions that happened in heaven between God and Satan. Job knew nothing about the fact that God had sovereignly limited what Satan could do. Job knew nothing. He just knew that he was suffering horrendously. And what did he say? He said, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. He didn't know any of the particulars of what was causing his suffering. He didn't know, and he didn't need to know. But what did he know? He knew what was important. And that was that God was in absolute control. God gave. God has taken away. Nothing that was happening to Job was outside of God's power. Satan didn't pull a fast one. Satan didn't somehow trick God. God was absolutely sovereign in it all. Remember what we saw at the beginning? Jesus has all power. Even at his cross, what does he give Judas permission to do when Satan enters Judas? Jesus gives him permission to go and have him betrayed. Jesus has all the power. Satan cannot operate outside of Jesus' power. So you and I, we don't need to spend any time trying to work out who's behind what's happening to us. Speculation is just a waste of energy and time. It serves no purpose and it gets us nowhere. Let's just be practical. So what should we do? Three things. Firstly, it's obvious. We ought to make sure that God's armour is on us 24-7. You don't just put it on for fancy dress parties. right? You get it on, it's on in the morning, 
It's on all day and you sleep in it at night. Right? You wear God's armour all the time so that we can stand in Jesus' strength knowing that he is in absolute control and that nothing can happen to us that is outside of that control and trust that his second coming will restore everything and that the restoration will only happen when he returns. Now, the best way to do that is to make sure that God's armour is always in place. And we do that by making sure that we're always getting into God's word. So daily, read the scriptures. What are you doing to get into the word of God every single day? I use the Explore Bible app. It's just great. I don't care what you use, but get into God's word every day. Get into God's word weekly. If you're not a member of a small 242 group, head to the connections table afterwards and join a 242 group so you can gather with God's people around his word and keep the armour locked and loaded. The more we keep filling our hearts and minds with God's word, the less foothold we give to Satan and his minions to knock us off our feet. You will notice a direct correlation between being knocked off your feet and not being in God's word. If you want to stand, get into the word. I was chatting with Barak about this during the week and he said, look, he said, tell the people, if you find yourself afraid of the demonic or someone you know is at any point afraid, do this. Take out a piece of A4 paper and draw a line down the middle. And on the left-hand side, write down in detail everything that you're afraid of. Make a list of all of the things that you fear. And then, in the second column, write down specifically who Jesus is and who you are in him from Ephesians chapter, chapters 1 to 6. Write down about the armour of God, what God's done for us and when he did it for us. And then, allow the armour of God to smash your fears to pieces. Put your fear in perspective and recognise that God is sovereign over anything that you fear. As re real as those fears may be, recognise the right-hand column. Jesus is greater, stronger, in total control, and he has you in the palm of his nail-pierced hand. Secondly, we pray. Look at verse 18. We pray at all times in the Spirit with prayer and supplication. And as we saw from that first week in our Lord's Prayer series, praying in the Spirit is simply praying to our Father because the Spirit has taught us that we are His sons. And so when we feel our fears rising, and they will, we're to cry out to Him and ask Him to act for us. Tell Him about your fears. Lament. Ask him to strengthen us. Ask him to remind us. Ask him to assure us of his love and grace and mercy. And don't just pray for yourself. Pray for others that they would persevere in prayer and persevere in standing. Knowing that our sovereign God will hear and will act for us. Because when we speak to him, remember where we're sitting? Right next to him. He's there. So find some time each day to chat with your heavenly father. Tell him what's on your mind. Ask him to act. Ask him to strengthen you. He will. And finally, because we know Jesus is all-powerful, we need to be very, very wary of those who claim that they have power over Satan. 
We need to be very suspicious of powerful pastors who promote fear of the demonic, who talk up Satan's power rather than Satan's defeat at the cross. These preachers promise that they have power over demons. These preachers will tell us that they are the ones who can rescue us. Brothers and sisters, be very suspicious of the big men. Be suspicious of the steps that they tell us that we need to take, the things that we need to do if we're ever to have power over the demonic. These big men, they'll promise that if we can just do enough, then we'll be free from the demonic and the curse will be broken. But you see, here's the thing. If you listen to these big men, and the reality is they're just liars, you'll never know. If you listen to them, you'll never know if you've finished if you've done enough and if the curse has been broken. These big men, they will leave you always doing and never knowing. Always doing rather than enjoying all that God has done in Christ and standing in his strength. Now, why do these big men do this? Why do they promise us so much? It's because they want to be our saviours. They want to be strong And they want us to feel weak. That is exactly the opposite of Ephesians 6. Bluntly, these big men, they want to line their own pockets with what's in our wallets. They don't know our Heavenly Father, nor the power of His Son. Our Heavenly Father, He wants to strengthen every one of us with His power. He doesn't give us strong men, preachers who will save us, He's given us who? The ultimate strong man. Who's that? Who? It's Jesus, who rules over every power for eternity. Our Heavenly Father wants us to know that His strong man has done everything to destroy Satan's power and that we can rest and find our strength in Him and Him alone. So don't look anywhere else. Nobody else will strengthen you. Nobody else will keep you. But as I said, Jesus has you in his nail-pierced hands. Let's go to him in prayer. Our gracious God and our loving Heavenly Father, we want to thank you that you promised to strengthen us. Father, we pray that you would do just that. By your Spirit, write these truths deep into our hearts and souls and minds so that we can know exactly who we are in you, so that we can recognize Satan's lies for what they are and cling to you and you alone. So, Father, help us to stand in the day when Satan strikes. Help us to stand when evil comes. Help us to stand so that on the last day when Jesus returns, we're standing all to your glory. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.